Ding Dongs. Welcome back to The Good Play, a podcast formerly about NBC's The Good Place, and now kind of about whatever we feel like, for the time being anyway. My name is Brianna, and with me on the line, she'd never cheat at the Kobayashi Maru, it's my sister Marissa. But then I would fail, like all the other cadets failed. Well, you're supposed to fail. It's supposed to teach you grace under fire. Yes. Grace under being made dead by aliens. Yes. Yes. In honor of Marissa's birthday month, we're devoting the next few weeks uh, to Marissa's movie star husband, Chris Pine. Chris Pine! In a theme we are calling Pining for Pine. Last week, which was our first episode back after a long (laughs) 2020-induced hiatus, (laughs) um, we we watched uh, The Princess Diaries 2, which was just a lot of us, you know, talking about how beautiful Chris Pine is and, and... wondering what are Genovians because they did no world building and this time I am proud to say you know a lot better world building in this uh this week set your phasers to stun because we are watching Star Trek starring Zachary Quinto Zoe Saldana and of course Chris Pine and I will also say this movie is star studded with cameos so I will point them out as we go do you have any upfront? Yeah, I mean, I kind of, I kind of wanted us to do our Star Trek bona fides because that's oh, usually yeah. what we do with these yeah, sort yeah, of yeah, big yeah. Uh, franchisey things. Yeah. Um, I think I have seen every episode of Star Trek Voyager. Uh, I might be missing onesies, twosies, but I think I've seen every Voyager episode. Uh, and then I have seen like a random handful of the original series, a random handful of Next Generation. And that's about it, I think. So I am not totally well-versed in this creative property. Not that it kind of matters that much. (laughs) Because J.J. Abrams wanted to make a movie full of lens flares. And so he he needed apparently a, a palette that was completely clean. And so he just completely broke canon on Star Trek. Uh, so there is an author whom I really like uh, that you should check out. Her name is Diane Duane, uh, D-U-A-N-E. She writes uh, YA. The Young Wizard series is her like main YA. She also writes adult fantasy, but she also has written some Trek novels. And I have been to cons where she is. And... Uh, At a con, she talked about writing Trek novels, and she talked about how Paramount is... I think it's Paramount. I know it's Paramount that's a production company, but I think that the company she was talking about in this was was Paramount. How Paramount is, like, obsessively protective of Star Trek lore, and they have, um, like, a hierarchy of, like, which lore is the most important. So the movies have the... So I'm not talking about these new movies. I'm talking about... So let's let's talk about pre-2009. The movies were the most important lore. Like, you could never write anything that would ever conflict with any of the movies, right? So, like, Star Trek, the motion picture, right? Like, the very first one they did, and then all the ones after that. After the movies comes the television properties, right? And there's, like, a ton, a ton, a ton of content. There are a ton of canon. And then, like, books were, like, way down. (laughs) Like, so that the people in Star Trek would would commission you to write a Star Trek novel and then you'd be like, well, I want to write about this and such a thing. And they would be like, that part of canon is too important for you lowly writers to touch, you lowly book writers to touch. So you're going to have to kind of do this tangential thing instead. So all this to say that like, there are people in high positions in corporate 
America who are very invested in like the sanctity of Trek lore because they know that their main audience is a bunch of nerds who really care about these things. Yeah. Right? It's not like Star Wars. I don't want to get into like Star Trek versus Star Wars on like a aesthetic level. I don't really care. But Star Wars plays fast and loose with stuff all the time and we're all just expected to kind of suck it up. <laughs> Like, well, and the people who are, like, I I saw Solo, and I was very angry about it. But there are other movies, because I love Han Solo and, and Chewie's relationship, but there are other, I mean, there were books before episodes 7, 8, and 9 that had this whole thing after the right. fall of the Empire, and, and people were very upset. Some people were very upset that, again, J.J. Abrams, ha ha ha, came in and, like, <laughs> and was like, nope, we're not going to do that. We're going to throw that away. And people were really annoyed about it. But they were sort of, it was sort of like, well, uh, we don't care. And, and I mean, you can say that was probably Star Trek, because they care about it, might have been more successful in, you know, um, maintaining some integrity in some pieces well of they did stories. they made they maintained integrity for 50 years and then they decided that they i mean I, you know, I think that the companies that have star trek as their ip do not have a lot of other ip that is at all lucrative and they wanted the new hotness but they wanted they wanted kirk right i want i want my original series i want the thing that i want the thing that everybody remembers fondly and kind of lusts after, wouldn't it be amazing if we had ba da ba da ba? So they wanted, you know, J.J. Abrams or, or the production company or whoever wanted, they wanted Kirk. They wanted hot, young, sexy Kirk, which don't get me wrong, Chris Pine, as we know. Very hot and sexy. Is a sex god. But they wanted hot, young, sexy Kirk, but they didn't want to have to deal with the fact that they have like obsessive, they have like Talmudic scholars of <laughs> lore. Whose like entire lives are dedicated to figuring out like in exact like exactly what star date was it, you know, that Kirk's mom and dad had intercourse to God bless you know. these nerds, y'all. God I know. Them. So instead of actually playing in the space that like Trek lore would have given them, which like they could have done, like, how did the band get together? They could have done that because that was not a story that had ever been done as far as I know. They could have done like, well, how did Kirk and Spock meet? And how did Kirk become captain? Like that th that was all story territory that was open for them to tread. But they didn't, J.J. Abrams or whomever did not want to deal with the, the Talmudic scholars. And so they just went, guess what? It, it's all irrelevant. Everything that you know is stupid and dumb because... We're just going to blow a bunch of stuff up and it's a new timeline. So don't even worry about it. It's a new timeline. And uh, all the things that we think are going to be fan service-y, uh, we're going to make sure that that's... So uh, yeah, you might think that in a, in a timeline where um, a bunch of people are murdered who weren't murdered in the first timeline, you might think that some of, the, some of those, uh, th so they would bring some second order effects from that. <laughs> and that maybe, you know, Dr. McCoy wouldn't be joining Starfleet or something, right? You would think that there would maybe be some things that would prevent you from getting to the exact cast that you had in the original series. <laughs> but we're going to sweep all that under the rug. Uh, and we're just going to say, we just want to, we just want to, it's like having action figures. They have the original series action figures and they just want to be able to play with them however they want without dealing with the fact that they have this accumulated lore. And as you can t probably tell, I didn't much care for this movie. 
Oh, yeah. Well, I was going to say, like, I had no idea that you had these feelings about Star Trek. <laughs> I have a, I have I've a healthy respect. For 32 years, and I had no idea. <laughs> I have a healthy respect for any legion of nerds with Talmudic scholarliness. I do. I have, yeah. I have a healthy respect for people who really care about fictional universes and canons. And like, maybe that's a dumb thing to have respect for, but I just do. And also even, even apart, let's pretend there are no nerds. Like Star Trek, the original series was about like peaceful exploration and meeting new alien cultures and like a mission of harmony. And like, it didn't always meet its aims. And also like Gene Roddenberry was super concerned about racism. Right. So he, like, put in a lot of uh, both explicit uh, nods to actual people of color, but then also metaphorical nods to people of color mm-hmm. in the original series. Not so great with the sexism, uh, but, <laughs> like... The first interracial kiss on TV. Yes. So, like, he cared a lot about what I would sort of broadly term, like, social issues. Yes. And that's a lot, like, the whole... You know, and like also, like I don't know how personal we want to get, but like our mom and her siblings grew up watching the original series, and it was very important to them. And part of the reason it was important to them was because our uncle, who is unemotional in the extreme, let's just say, very very brilliant and unemotional in the extreme, like felt like a huge kinship with Spock. And I think that that for a lot of people who don't feel like they fit in, yeah. There's always a stand-in in every Trek series that, like, you feel like you kind of don't know how to human. And there is somebody in the cast who you're like, oh, they don't know how to human either, right? So it's Spock, it's the Doctor from Voyager, it's uh, Data from Next Generation, right? There's always that stand-in for the person who's like, oh, I don't really, like, I don't really get social cues either, right? Like, these are all things that I think of when I think of, when I thought of Star Trek before I ever watched this movie, when I thought of Star Trek, I thought of, like, you know, um, a post a post scarcity society. Mm-hmm. It's a post scarcity society. It's all about uh, exploration and and harmony and like it's imperfect, but they're really trying. And you know, every every episode of Voyager, pretty much, you would get back to the status quo at the beginning because and, and there was some amount of like comfort to that or whatever. All these things would have been how I would have thought about Star Trek. That it's not supposed to be you know, thrilling and exciting, it's supposed to be more, like, cerebral and metaphorical, maybe. And then, like, this movie is just punching. It's just punching. It's punching in lens flares. It's punching people. It's punching me in the face with lens flares. It's punching and punching and punching. And I just felt like, I I don't know that this movie understands what Star Trek is supposed to be about. Yeah, I mean, so I will give my much shorter summary of my... Sorry. No, 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 no. And this is... I'm taking a dig at myself. I've never watched Star Trek, really. Like, I mean, I know it through cultural osmosis, but I never watched the original movies. Um, I wasn't into the TV shows. Um, The thing that, to me... I remember asking our mom, sort of, to her, what the difference was between Star Wars and Star Trek. And she said exactly what you said about Star Trek being much more about right and wrong and mm. um, exploring kind of like the, the I don't want to say humanity because they're not all humans, but the, the soul inside all of the beings. And it was much more about like these larger social issues and racial commentary and uh, commentary on 
prosperity and those sorts of things and like what a society could do for good <laughs> like you know they're like a humanitarian mission but it was all sort of like you knew watching it watching the original series growing up at least when she did like they they were never in space really it was like they beamed from the ship to a room inside somewhere and that's where they had like most of their right most of their interactions and she said that the difference between that and Star Wars for her was that Star Wars was the first thing where it was like in space and really fast paced and cool and so they have very different sensibilities right and Star Wars is about less about right and wrong and more about good and evil right which are you could argue like sort of two different things absolutely i would absolutely argue those are different things right like the actual difficult moral questions that star trek like there is a really sort of famous star trek episode in in voyager which again unfortunately is sort of my only real touch point into the tv is is the voyager where like there's a transporter accident and these two like characters are merged into one person who is a completely different person and then if the whole show is kind of like a morality play of like well what's the correct thing to do here we can reverse this but then this we're basically killing this new person who exists and that person is arguing very eloquently for the fact that he is a is a is a being who does not deserve to be killed in order to sort of restore the lives of his two, you know, quote unquote parents or whatever. And it's like this very, that's the sort of thing that's, that's a real moral dilemma. And like Star Star Wars doesn't have real moral dilemmas. It has, it has epic good versus epic evil. There's never any question which side is which. Right. And so for me, like my bona fides are much more in the epic good versus epic evil. There is no real moral question of you know like there are very small moral questions like when when luke asks obi-wan like why didn't you tell me about my dad before and he's like well what i told you was true from a certain point of view so like you know get over it (laughs) um (laughs) but so i don't have so what it what i do have for star trek is the oh and the other thing i was going to say about about star trek is that a good friend of mine from college who I'm still good friends with to this day, she was much more into Star Trek and we would have conversations about it. And she said, you know, watching Star Trek, she got that same sort of, sort of more cerebral conversations about right and wrong conversations about moral gray areas. She said it was sort of the first show that she watched where she felt like, Oh, this is, this is wrong. Racism is wrong. Like, Mm. you know, discrimination is wrong. We, we shouldn't be doing this. As a kid, that's sort of what she picked up from it. So what I do have for Star Trek is a lot of respect for the fact that, like, it really was a, a complete pioneer in how certain people were portrayed on television and in, and in popular media. A complete pioneer for, you know, it's it's the, the diversity and all of the storylines about racial harmony and and species harmony that's not incidental that's built into the dna of the series right, right, right. and the rest of the the canon so for me that's what i have i have a, a deep respect for that i don't know the first gd thing about i am so far from being like a a, a fan that is obsessive about the lore of it because i never i just never really watched it i never really got into it and so my view of this movie is like, it's fun. 
But it's also not any, it's not consequential to me because I don't have a deep and abiding love for these characters. I don't have a deep and abiding love for the world that they built. It also, the alternate timeline stuff, I think I'm also a little bit used to it because that's what we've seen in a lot of, so this was 2009. Right. And we've seen this in a lot of franchises where there are over the past you know, I want to say since the first X-Men movies came out with Fox Searchlight. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. So what we've, I think what we've seen for for the past 15-ish years, right, is that whenever you have an IP that you want to, and like the Spider-Man movies are like this, right? That, that Sony has to make a certain amount of Spider-Man movies in order to keep the copyright it's not it's not exactly the same in terms of like they're they just reboot spider-man right all the time it's not like oh this is a new time like that exists in its own timeline and this is a different timeline and welcome to well, timeline 743 but that's spider-verse right i mean and, Ugh, and i don't want to i don't i don't know if i want to lump spider-verse in with this okay. but <laughs> well because you didn't like this but you liked spider-verse well, but but here's what i'll say here's my my original point is that you're certainly true that the x-men thing the whole yes. like let's travel back in time and yes. where it's a new time like that's a ve- you're right that like x-men really so, made that a part of modern cinema x-men hugely made that a, a part a part of modern cinema because i mean i can write a dissertation about how i feel about those movies but the the first two of the fox searchlight movies were great the third one was a piece of garbage and so when they were looking at how can we sort of revamp this their version of it was to create a series of movies that undid the third movie and say this is all in a different of like time stream basically and logan although is this back, you know and all this kind now of that stuff. you're saying this this is kind of the avengers yes the, how the avengers kind of solved its plot problems That's in the, the last couple I movies say too is Sorry. that is that it's so i don't necessarily think I, I maybe was less bothered by this idea of like, this is in a different timeline because I think that in a way is a little bit shorthand for like, you know, we wanted to play in the sandbox, but if you don't want to pay attention to it, then you don't have to pay attention to it. You can say that happened in another timeline. I'm not interested. I don't really care about this, but I am going to focus on these other properties in this, in this IP that I really like. Um, and it's also really indicative of what, these huge tentpole movies have been for the past 15 years, basically is just lots of punching, lots of lens flares, lots of shoot. I mean, it doesn't like J.K. Abrams has put, he did two star Wars movies to varying degrees of success. I think no, in neither of them was he one third as aggressive with lens flares as he was in this movie. It was off the wall. (laughs) So I, I think I'm, I, I just, all this is to say, I think when taken in a larger cultural context of rebooting classic stories or or making sort of nerd culture popular culture, right? Because that's also what part of this is, that you have people that are super obsessive about a fandom that started 50 years ago, right? And have been... Darn near 60 at this point. And have been obsessively cataloging it. But not everybody's going to be in that world... It's the same way that sort of, and I'm not putting these two movies, I think 
Black Panther is an exponentially better movie, but Black Panther was accessible to an audience that you didn't have to know the first thing about Black Panther in order to enjoy that movie. And because they knew they had a larger audience going to the movies to see this than they than the comics had and the other properties had for Marvel. So I think I sort of taken in this larger cultural context, it doesn't bother me as much that this is sort of a an alternate timeline, what if this had happened, fan servicey kind of story, because we've that's just been, you know, part of the cultural lexicon for a while now. And this was probably one of the first ones because it was 09. And they did a similar thing with the next Star Trek movie where they brought... They next two. Next two Star Trek movies. What's the third one? I could not tell you, but I know that there's a third one. Okay. Because um, they basically redid The Wrath of Khan, right? Which is a, a huge... Yep, which made a lot of people angry yes. for very legitimate reasons. Yes. yes. And <laughs> First and foremost being that they took a character played by an actor of color and gave it to Benna Snatch Cumberbub. Brenda Dick... Brenda Dirt Crample Scrunch. Yes. Um, and he got a lot... <laughs> Thank you. J.J. Abrams got a lot of flack because he said, oh no, he's not con, he's not con, he's not con. And then that's who he was. And so I'm not defending that, but I'm saying that like, you know, it's it's a... We've seen these sorts of like, let's treat this IP like a sandbox and some people get pissed about it and some people don't. You know, the Dark Phoenix saga gets screwed up twice in two different movie versions of X-Men. Okay, but let's... But can we... Put, putting aside my complaint that he just jossed a bunch of lore, maybe focus on the fact that it's just, like, not very true to the spirit of the franchise? Yes, I will totally give you that where Bruce Greenwood, who plays Pike, says to him, at the, says to Kirk pretty early on in the movie, you know what the Federation is. It's a peacekeeping and humanitarian mission. And my God, do these people blow things up like left, right, and center, you know, and granted, you know, they're dealing with the Romulans, whatever, but it's a very different tone, it seems like, from a lot of the rest of the series. Like with Star Wars, it's always been super fast paced, lots of pew, 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 like lots of shooting and lots of running away from imminent threats. And we think we're safe and we're not safe. And it's a it's about a rebel faction fighting a giant empire, and so it's inherently more violent. Whereas Star Trek is supposed to be, as you said, about this like cerebral humanitarian peacekeeping mission. And yeah, it, de- it definitely felt different than that for sure. I will give you that a hundred percent. And that I mean that feels a little bit insulting, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. That like I I somebody said we want to make this franchise a cash cow for us in this new millennium and yes we have a series running on cbs all access or we have a series running on network television but like that's only medium money we want gigantic money and so we're going to like completely forsake the ideals that the show was founded on and we're just gonna, again, like, just treat these characters like they are action figures in a playset. The way that little kids, it really did strike me as, like, something that a, and uh, listeners, be aware that I have a seven-year-old boy. Something that a seven-year-old boy would, you know, he's seen a couple episodes of Star Trek and you give him a a little diorama with all that. And then he's just like, the Romulans are here. Pew, 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 pew. Like, oh, you, you killed my dad. Pew, 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 pew. Like, <laughs> like. 
it just it struck me as like this juvenile like deeply because at the age of seven you would never understand that this is supposed to be a metaphor for like uh an end to war an end to nationalism an end to racism like you can't get that at seven all you get is like i'm in a spaceship so then you just make up like oh it's a battle pew 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 because that's what you are at the age of seven but like jj abrams is an adult (laughs) (laughs) allegedly and it just kind of felt insulting and and like Did I sit there with my arms crossed the whole time going, no, I did not. I sat there and I enjoyed the film so much as like you enjoy like any popcorn flick, I guess. But basically the whole time being like, well, that doesn't make any sense or that doesn't really fit with what I understand from anything or anyone or gosh, this doesn't really feel like a Star Trek movie to me. It feels like somebody took... You know, basically, like, the Fast and the Furious and transposed it into space. Which will happen in Fast and the Furious, if we're yeah. honest. <laughs> oh my god, Fast and the Furious International Space Station. I mean, it will happen. There is nowhere left for them to go. In the oh, that's last a good point. Movie, in the last movie, they fought, in, in Hobbs and Shaw, they fought uh, Idris Elba as a, like, An android, cyborg. like, or not an android, like a, a cybernetic. Yeah. Cyborgs. Okay. Yeah. So there's literally nowhere left for them to go. <laughs> yeah. No, and, and that's all, like, that's all completely valid. Just completely, completely valid. And I th- I'm going to say that I think you're uh, about a decade too late on the message boards because I think that was... <laughs> and I'm, that's not a dig. Like, I think there were a lot of people who felt the way you did that, you know, J.J. Abrams didn't really get... Or whoever, I mean, I'm not sure if he wrote it. Yeah, I don't know. But whoever was sort of responsible for making this movie didn't really get the heart and soul of it. That it was a sort of a punch fest in the way that, like, now we see, like, Marvel movies being a punch fest. Right, I mean, everyone who has listened to this show for a a significant number of episodes knows that, like, I don't go in for punch fest generally. Like, I didn't like the end of Wonder Woman because it's a punch fest. Yeah. You know, like, there's a lot of movies that I don't like. and Or the end of Black Panther I didn't care for because it's a punch fest. That's right. Like, we had a whole I don't like that. punch fests. I'm pretty sure most of the time you can write something more interesting than people slugging each other. Yeah. Especially when you're dealing in a universe that has sort of these really interesting pieces of technology. Right? Yeah. We, <laughs> we said the same thing about a lot of the Marvel movies when you have characters. This was listener Meg. Uh, her... She worked on some of those Marvel movies, and for her, it was always like, well, they're punching each other again. They have all these powers they could call upon, but they don't do that. They just punch each other in the face. And that feels very action figure and and this this certainly did, too. You know what the other thing that felt action figure to me was the fact that some of them, not all of them, some of them had their catchphrases. And I think McCoy was the worst. Yeah. That he just had a string on his back that every time someone pulled it, he said, damn it, Jim, I'm a doctor, not a insert thing here. That is my man, Carl Urban. This man is getting work. He was in Lord of the Rings. He was in... Oh, God. Yes. He was in Marvel. He is... He and Wait, what is he in Marvel? He was in the Thor movies. He was the guy... What's Thor's... Asgard? Asgard. He was on... He was the guy on Asgard 
where when Hella showed up and said, like, you Oh, yes, 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 yes. Oh, yeah. he was kind of almost comic relief. Yes, yeah. yes, 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 yes. A little bit of comic relief. So he's in that. I have no, I have no quibble with this man as an actor. I am no. not trying to diss him as an actor. I'm saying that the lines that they wrote for him oh, yeah. were, somebody watched two episodes of the original series and said, oh, so this guy says, damn it, Jim, I'm a, a lot. Like, I'm a doctor, <laughs> not a whatever. And, and, and so we're just going to have him say that in every single line. He hammed <laughs> like, it up. He hammed it up. I will give I will give him that. He this this man had some fun with it. And I watched some Yeah, he definitely did. I watched some um bloopers. Oh, interesting. And apparently like Chris Pine in an interview was like, Carl Urban is the most handsome man you've ever met, and he's just a big dork. And so like <laughs> they went behind the scenes, like they would have these scenes together and Carl Urban would just like make these faces and do these noises and like try to get everybody to laugh. So like, I think he was having fun, but yeah, no, I agree with you. And like the same thing with like Chekhov's accent was like very, very, very much over the top. And I think that was, uh, I think that, but I think that was purposeful and Scotty's whole, like we're giving her all she's got. Like that was a hundred percent. Nobody said beam me up, Scotty, but it was very close to I don't that. believe that was actually usually said in the original series. It's just a yeah. thing that people think was said. Yeah. So do we want to recap the movie? Or a, are we just... I guess. It was like a slavish adherence to the tropes of the source material without really, like, digging any deeper. And, like, case in point, like, I guess they had to put Ahura in the shortest skirt that anybody's ever worn... They couldn't have just put Zoe Saldana in a knee-length skirt and been like, it's t- 2009 and we can't do this. We have a black president. <laughs> can we- <laughs> like, can we be respectful of this woman and not put her in a skirt that if she were to bend over, it would be a situation? Well, and she had an underwear shot early in the movie. Oh, that was so exploitative. I really was not okay with that. Yeah. I mean, it seemed... It's, it's, but again, like it's see, Star Wars, Star Trek is not sexy. It's not. No, it is aggressively unsexy. Have you ever seen how Deanna Troy used to dress? Like arguably, well, okay. I would say arguably the second most attractive woman to ever appear on like the main sort of normal network television Star Trek, the most attractive being Seven of Nine on Voyager, I would say. Yeah. Um, but actually Seven of Nine was pretty much the same. The two of them just used to wear just like these unflattering bodysuits, like completely covered head to toe. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I, I mean, so I think that's another place where you have this cognitive dissonance between the the look and feel of the source material where I'm not going to say there was no romance on the show because I kind of find that hard to believe, but no, there um, was, it was just never the a plot, but it's never the a plot. So it's never the focus. And also like it's network television. So they're not going to get um, hot and heavy with it. You're not going to have a scene where you have a green lady in her underwear being in bed with shirtless and pantsless Chris Pine. Right. <laughs> Not that I was complaining about that last part. I mean, I was going to say, that's the only, yeah. (laughs) But, like, when you are making this huge tentpole movie for this modern audience, there is that expectation that you are going to have, you know, like, Star Wars is, is the original series, like, a little sexy, right? Like, you know, Han Solo shows up in, with the swagger and the open shirt and, you know, all that kind of stuff. 
There is no chest hair in Star Trek. <laughs> right. There's nothing. There's no. Um, and I think they probably made Kirk a little bit more of a Han Solo character in this movie. Well, Kirk was always sexing up alien ladies, but it was always relatively chaste in its own way, <laughs> right? It's like just a kiss or whatever. Yeah. But my point, my point is that. I don't. I don't even know if I'm talking about the sexiness per se. I'm more talking about like, what is this movie for women? And what this movie for women is is Zoe Saldana and Winona Ryder. Uh, I think a, uh, the only characters who really have a speaking role of more than about five lines, I think, would be Zoe Saldana and Winona Ryder. And Winona Ryder barely makes it that far. Mm-hmm. Uh, Winona Ryder gets in her five to ten lines and dies tragically. Thereby, you know, they basically fridged her to motivate Spock in Spock's journey. Mm-hmm. Young Spock, I guess it's I guess I should say, and uh, Uhura, who, you know, just I don't know if I want to hammer this home too much, but like just to, so to emphasize for everybody, like her inclusion on the original series was a huge freaking deal to the point where she was thinking about quitting, and the Reverend Doctor Martin Luther King Jr. wrote yes. her a letter and asked her to stay because she was such a positive role model for young black children. Yes, so. If I'm translating that into 2009, what I ideally want is, first of all, for there to be a few more women. Like, is there any reason that some of the chancellors of the school couldn't be female? Is there any reason that some of, like, the randos who are kind of, like, in... Like, I know, okay, fine, they want the they want the people who were on the bridge in the original series. They want them all there. Cool. I think you could make every other character female, right? <laughs> Pretty much. Or like have some female Romulans, right? Sure. Like sure. that was one of the things that when um, Wonder Woman came out, I was again talking to Meg, and like you know, one of the villains in that movie is a woman, and you get, and then you have, I mean, obviously you have all the Amazons and stuff, but like just to, it doesn't always necessarily have to be that like, or or in the new Star Wars, like a lot of the first. Rep- first order um staff members are women right like it's just it's not strange that women are on sort of both sides of the aisle here no if this is supposed to be the enlightened you know post bigotry society then you should have equal numbers of men and women in pretty much everything right and yet it's still it's still a complete sausage fest yeah or like i would take like non-binary androgynous alien characters also sure yeah uh and also when you have the one arguably main female character who is a horror what do they do to her they they have her do an underwear scene and they make her a love interest of spock i didn't mind that i look i don't this stuff is not about what you mind in individual instances right it's about a pattern and the pattern here is that there are no women in this movie who are not the lovers of or mothers of the two main men. Yeah, that's a good point. And so it's just like, can, can Ahura be a character in her own right who's not hooking up with her teacher? A little bit on the, <laughs> a little bit on the morally questionable side there. And who's not in like a three-inch skirt. Yeah. Like they could have, could they have put the woman in pants? Is that really too much to ask? <laughs> Is, 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 are they so addicted to fidelity 
in the sense of we need to get all the characters exactly the same, but we don't need to actually match the tone or the plot or the canon. We just need to have all the action figures exactly the way they look in exactly the places they're supposed to be sitting, and then we can do whatever we want with them. And that means inheriting sort of the sexist uh, imagery of the 1960s. Yeah, I mean, you got a point there. I think, I so I saw Into Darkness. She has a lot more to do in that movie. That's nice. You actually get to see her using her xenolinguistic skills. You see her a little bit doing that in this. You know, she relieves another officer who doesn't know how to translate Romulan. Yeah. I mean, that is something that I, that I did appreciate the fact that like, you know, Spock was very, like, I know they're hooking up, but Spock was like, well, she's really good at her job. So if she says this happened, then this happened, which is like not something that women get today. (laughs) <laughs> I would honestly if men listened to me in the workplace like I, I could deal with a shorter skirt I don't know <laughs> oh god but I think yeah I mean that that is true it, it's like it's a lot about the journeys of these two men bros these two bros these two bros <laughs> and so there's not a you're right like and Jennifer Morrison who plays hit, uh, Kirk's mom really only has that first scene and i know i was like does she never come back and she never comes back oh okay cool (laughs) i mean i think jj abrams also i think will like often just like hire his friends for bit parts and so like i wonder how much of this was like hey i know you do you want to like be in this movie for do you want to come shoot for like a day like yeah okay right it would feel like less of an insult if it was an actress you'd never seen before right although maybe she's a huge trekkie in real life maybe she just wanted to be in the movie yeah, I can understand. I can certainly understand your your frustration with that. I think I when I watched it, I was, you know, we say we're not going to, like, talk politics too much on this show, but it really did feel, to a certain degree, like, oh, isn't it nice? <laughs> isn't it nice to see all these different races and species, like, basically getting along? Like, I know Spock and Kirk have their back and forth and all that and and have their disagreements but you know this sort of goes to and i had this we're doing all the discussion up front i think but um yeah i guess but this is the the article that i mentioned last time at the end of the episode when we were talking about zoe saldana she did an interview where she talked about the fact that like being in these big sci-fi movies have has opened her up to um you know roles that she's that otherwise like she really wouldn't uh, she doesn't get the same type of consideration for like regular dramas or other things because of her race and because of her her you know she's like she did a movie where she played Nina Simone. I didn't see it, so that's a caveat there. But she got a lot of flack because uh, you know a lot of people said she wasn't like truly black enough to play Nina Simone. And, yeah, that's a topic I don't want to touch with a ten foot pole. Right. But she certainly did get a lot of flack for it. She got a lot of flack for it. But what she says in this interview, just so that's just to give you a sort of like calibration. But she says in this interview, quote, I love working with people who let their imaginations go. Plus, you get to play characters who defy gravity. I like that. It makes me feel superhuman because obviously it's been brought to my attention continuously since I was born that I'm not a conventional person because of the color of my skin or my gender or my cultural background. So she's Hispanic and black. So I Miles think, Morales. Yes. So I think science fiction has given me the ability as an artist to be colorblind and genderblind and to imagine and reinvent myself and be the chameleon that actors are supposed to be. So she's found 
a niche in these, in this and in um, Marvel, Marvel, and in Avatar, Avatar movies. <laughs> God, which are coming back. Yeah. Well, I mean, God only knows. James Cameron is like, who, who even knows? But in those movies, to sort of transcend the sort of normal way that we view black actresses and black women and so and and women of all colors because you know she's she's hispanic as well and so that was sort of instead of looking at it from just a purely gender perspective i think i was sort of like oh you know it's refreshing to see like sulu and uh uhura and you know aliens and this and that and they're all kind of like just coexisting in harmony and isn't that nice Right, that was the point of the original series, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, (laughs) That was the whole point. Yeah. All right, I'll get into the recap, I guess. I mean, you Unless you really... I mean... Do you want to do it? No, you can do it. I just... I was going to say, I took pretty detailed notes. You don't have to go beat by beat. I did, because I didn't know how we were going to do this, but... Uh, I I can't imagine that I'm going to go into that nitty-gritty detail. I see you have uh, triple-nested bullet points. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we're 45 uh, minutes in, and we have... Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. So, okay, let's try to maybe make this more of a flyover. Yeah. Um, basically, there's a cold open where there's this Federation ship, and it's attacked by the ship that has much better technology than it. And Kirk's giantly pregnant mama is on the ship and is evacuated, and, the, and she thinks the father, you know... Kirk Sr. Chris Hemsworth. Uh, Chris Hem- I was like, is that Chris Hemsworth doing a passable American accent? Good job, Chris Hemsworth. <laughs> if only it had been Larry Hemsworth. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say. <laughs> so the the these Romulans who have this suspiciously technologically amazing ship, uh, they basically murder many, many, many of the people on this Federation ship, and they and they mess the ship up big time. They basically explode the ship. And some of the only survivors are Kirk's wife, who is in labor. She's like, the baby's coming now. I'm like, come on, really? Again? <laughs> so she's like in labor as they rush her to an escape pod. And then by the time her husband is doing a heroic sacrifice to basically ra- do a kamikaze, basically against this technologically advanced ship. The baby's been born. I was like, that's the fastest labor I ever did see. <laughs> the baby's been born and they and he gets to like at least know the baby's been born, know it's a boy, they decide on a name, and then Kirk Sr. uh heroically dies ramming the technologically advanced ship. I cried. Did I you? Knew- oh yeah. I I saw this in theaters. I knew it was gonna happen. I still cried. <laughs> I've been a little sleep deprived I- lately, if those for oh, those of you yeah. who can hear the <laughs> noise outside my window. It's pretty much constant mm-hmm. in Brooklyn. Yes. We see a brief shot of young Kirk, who they really miscast that kid. That kid doesn't look anything like Chris Pine. It's And he has a very weird mop of hair that seems like it's probably a wig. So this young Kirk steals his dad's like vintage sports car and gets taken yeah. down by a flying motorcycle traffic cop. I would say... My stepdad, right? Sorry, yes, his stepdad. Although, look, he's the only, probably the only dad he's ever known. But uh, in just like the first, like, okay, so I guess we're trying to establish that he's like a rule breaker. And of course he 
sends the sports car shooting over a cliff. <laughs> and he manages to, like, roll out, and he's clinging to the side of the cliff with his fingernails. I was like, oh, that's what kind of movie this is. Oh, okay, at least I know what I'm in for. <laughs> and then we see baby Spock on Vulcan. He was so cute. Uh, he was adorable. He was adorable. And he's doing all his tests, and these Vulcan kids are teasing him about the fact that he has a human mom, which seems to be practically unheard of on, on the planet, uh, which I think is pretty much true. I think mm-hmm. Spock was one of, like, the first, you know, quote-unquote half-breed. I don't really like that phrase, yeah. but you know what I mean? Kind of kids. And he, like, loses control of his emotions, which they're always expecting him to do because they don't expect him as a as a half-Vulcan to have as good control of his emotions as regular Vulcans do because Vulcans have emotions. They just work super, super, super hard at controlling them. And yeah. so he's like, why did you marry, you know, mom, human mom, and Winona Ryder? And, you know, his dad's just like, it was logical. And Baby Spock's like, oh, okay. And... <laughs> Then, uh, you know, smash cut to like a decade and a half later or something where Spock, who's now aged into Zachary Quinto, who is a handsome gentleman, very handsome gentleman. (laughs) No, he's very, I I really liked Zachary Quinto in this movie. I thought he did a great job. I agree. I agree. So he's, he's in front of the science academy board and it's like, oh, well, he's about to be in front of the science academy board. He asks his mom first, like, hey, if I join the Vulcan Science Academy, are you going to feel like I've rejected my human sh- side? And she's basically just like, oh, baby, I love you no matter what you do. It's it was, okay. I will, I will say, like, it just, to your point about, like, people who feel like they can't quite human, I also thought that this was, like, a really compassionate show of, like, raising a kid who's, like, not quite, can't quite human. Bicultural. Or, yeah, bicultural or... A, a neurotypical or something like that because she's like oh honey you don't be nervous you're gonna be fine and he just goes fine has variable meaning fine is uh not an yeah. acceptable answer and she's just she just sort of is like okay like she yeah. does, she's like okay you know she just sort of kind of uh incur- c- continues to encourage him and doesn't you know his dad is much more on him about conforming and she's just like honey i love you no matter what you are you right She's pretty much the best part of his life, it seems like. Yeah. And he goes in front of the Vulcan Science Academy and they're like, congratulations, even though you obviously have this huge deficit in your background because of your dumb human mom, we're still going to let you into Vulcan Science Academy. And his dad is sitting on the... He's his right dad there. is in... He's one of the elders of Vulcan. And Spock is like, hey, thanks for that. I'm not joining your dumb science academy because you just diss my mom. So TTYL, I'm going to go join Starfleet. He says live long and prosper like it's a threat <laughs> yeah <laughs> and they're like nobody's ever no vulcan has ever turned out he's like well i'm only half vulcan so i guess you guess you still have your perfect record okay bye <laughs> so then i think we cut forward even a little bit more in time because i think that you know by the time the rest of the stuff in this movie happens spock has been to the academy graduated the academy yeah. is a professor at the academy right so yeah. cut for, i don't know if it's five extra years who cares yeah but I think it's, I think, I think when we pick back up with Kirk, it's supposed to be 25 years after his dad has died. Okay. So, uh, we see Ahura at the bar and Chris Pine aggressively hits on her, which... I didn't mind it. Sorry. I didn't mind it. (laughs) (laughs) I love that we start with this, like... You gotta treat women better. She <laughs> bought a short skirt, and then he comes up and he's like, 
you can handle me. And we're both like, whoo, okay. <laughs> Whatever you say, Chris Pine. Is it a bit of a double standard? Yes, I'm sorry. I'm human. Human sexuality is complicated. <laughs> yes. So she's like, I study xenolinguistics. You have no idea what that means. And he's like, it's like morphology and syntax and phonology of human la- of alien languages. And she's like, oh, maybe he's not as dumb as he seems. And then a bunch of cadets, Starfleet cadets, like basically start punching him for like looking at one of their girls. It's like a townies versus toonies thing. I believe it's town versus gown. Usually, did you say toonies? Yes. What is toonies? I heard Kathy Griffin say it once. <laughs> okay. Town when, versus gown is the normal in, dichotomy. Yeah. So punching, punching, punching. And then Captain Pike, who's like a recurring Trek character. Captain Pike kind of comes in to guilt trip Chris Pine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, you know, come join Starfleet. And Chris Pine is like, LOL, no. And But then Bruce Greenwood's uh, Captain Pike says... Your father was captain of a starship for 12 minutes and he saved like 97 lives. Like, can you, whatever. Can you, can you outdo him? And Chris Pine's like, you found my weak spot. He doesn't say that, but his face says that. Right. So. It's very obvious. Yeah. (laughs) So the next morning he shows up, he gives his motorcycle to some rando who's just hanging out there. And he gets in the transport. He's the, he's the only one not in, like, Cadet Reds, except then a guy sits down next to him. It's Carl Urban, who's My like... boyfriend, Carl Urban. <laughs> I love... I love... I just... I think he's just like, oh, I hate flying and we're all gonna die. And Kirk's like, you know that Starfleet is in space, it's right? Like, <laughs> and this is, to your point about fan service, he goes, like, my wife took everything and divorce, and all I got is my bones. And you're like, well, okay, I guess you're bones. I have to admit complete ignorance for why that's his nickname in the original series. I always assume it's because he's a doctor. <laughs> and <laughs> like doctors like, like Emily Deschanel's character on Bones? <laughs> That's her nickname. That's true. Hey, look, that's true. But maybe is that supposed to be a Star Trek riff? I don't know. I was just sort of assumed like, you know, he probably said somebody's bones and they're like, oh, it's Dr. Bones. And it just kind of got shortened to bones. But maybe it is that he went around saying that his wife took everything in the divorce (laughs) except his bones. Like, hey, you're a doctor. You know that you have like organs and stuff, right? Well, I don't know. Maybe it's his emotional bones because the, maybe the divorce was hard on it. Who knows? I thought you were going to say maybe his wife took a kidney in the divorce. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, he's just like, damn it, I'm a doctor. I don't <laughs> like flying. And it's like, oh, okay. So you've got one line that you're going to keep saying over and over again. Yeah, 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 yeah. So meanwhile, we cut back to technologically advanced spaceship where Growly, is this Eric Bana? Nero? Yeah. Yeah. He was just an annoying guy, and he He was just like... He was really... Like, he he hammed, especially at the end. There was a lot (laughs) lot of cheese. Can we talk for a minute about the fact that... I'm just going to ruin the plot of this movie, y'all. The plot of this movie is that this ship, which is supposed to be a mining ship, even though it looks like uh, one of those squids from the Matrix movies... The Sentinels? Grew an exoskeleton and became even more lethal. It's like, this is just a mining ship. Okay, it looks like it's supposed to explode planets, but sure, fine. The whole plot of this movie is that this ship accidentally got sucked back in time 
to that first scene that we saw in the movie. And that Spock, future Spock, old Leonard Nimoy Spock, was also going through the same time wormhole. But because of temporal weirdness, it took him 25 years to get through this black hole, or 25 years longer than it took the uh, Eric Bana ship. So we have this one ship that has been in like our time frame for 25 years waiting for Spock's ship. <sighs> what have they been doing for 25 years? Why does nobody look as though they have aged a day? When you go through a wormhole, maybe you don't age a day. Oh, right. uh-huh. And <laughs> if your whole mission is... My home planet is going to be destroyed by a supernova in a, what do you say, like 125 years or something like that, right? Yeah. My home planet is going to be destroyed by a supernova in 125 years. Hey, I guess I'll fly to my home planet and tell everybody that they have 125 years to evacuate. Like, are you kidding me with this? It's just like the most lazy, stupid plot hole of like, this guy is so hell-bent for leather, the only thing he can do is hang out and play video games for a quarter (laughs) of a century. Literally do nothing. By the way, we have no idea, you know, how they're getting energy. I mean, usually these ships need some sort of energy source, right? Uh, But putting all that aside, he had 25 years to go to his home planet and be like, look, I'm from the future. I can verify that in a number of ways. And... Uh, I need you to know that on this date, our sun is going to go supernova. And so 125 years is just about long enough to like relocate all of our important buildings and all of our people onto another planet that is going to be habitable in 125 years. So let's start the project now. Instead of doing that, he decides to, over the course of very long periods of time, selectively try to blow up other people's planets because he mad. Because the Federation did nothing to help in the future. Yes. Or they tried to help, but... So it's actually... Well, he, says that he says they did nothing to help. We find out later that Spock tried to help. It was too late. So... so this is apparently a plot point in Picard. Uh, so Picard is dealing with this sort of in real time in the Picard show. But the suffice it to say, without getting into Picard, like that the Federation does not totally act honorably in this situation. And there is good reason for him to be angry at the Federation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, the, I thought you were going to say what I felt about it, which was that he seems to blame Spock personally, which seems like a very strange thing to yeah. do. And Spock, as we will find out, doesn't say like, well, I don't know, you know, th- that, doesn't hold water for me he's like well because of my failure i had to watch my planet blow up and so that's what i thought you were gonna say was that like it it is a little it was a little strange to me and also this is another male character who is completely driven by the untimely death of his wife right and by the way i gotta say Eric Bana looks like he's got some crazy makeup in this movie and he shows like a hologram of what his wife looks like. And it looks like her name is Karen. And she, like I saw her at JCPenney last week. Like it was very, um, yeah, it didn't exactly look Romulan. I guess I was like, is she, does she just have like wavy shoulder length, brown hair? (laughs) Like it was like a dirty blonde, but yeah. yeah. (laughs) 
So, yeah, I mean, I think, but I, again, I think this is just like how, what kind of like, um, bare scaffolding, like what's the, what's the least scaffolding possible that we need to figure out like why they would have, have been in this alternate reality and how can we not to spoil anything, but later on do a little fan service to the people who want to see some of the Ridge group here as well. Literally the, the branching off point for an alternate reality could have been anything. Yeah. It could have just been that Spock accidentally opens a portal and just he himself gets sucked in and just the butterfly effect. And we've changed the timeline. Yeah. It doesn't have to be this completely nonsensical thing where a guy who is driven by grief for his home planet does nothing to help his home planet in 25 years of having nothing to do. He's got to wait for Spock. (laughs) I mean, it's crazy to me that they even got sucked back to a time that was as relevant as it turned out to be. They could have got sucked back to, like, the the samurai times. I was going to say, like, the Mesozoic era. Seriously! Like, they happen to come back to a time when Spock is alive, or when Spock is about to be born, or something. Like, it, <laughs> there's no guarantee of that. They could have they ended up in literally any time period. <laughs> Dear J.J. Abrams. I just, like, oh, it's so lazy. It is so lazy. I hate laziness in science fiction. I hate it. And I don't consider Star Wars to be science fiction. It's basically fantasy in a space setting. But like, this is supposed to be sci-fi. And this is just lazy. Anyway. So, meanwhile, we see, so technologically advanced ship, we see them capture a small ship. And he's like, welcome back, Spock. And it's like, okay, he's Spock from the future. I get it. (laughs) It's like, what else could this possibly be? So now we're back to Starfleet campus and uh, Kirk is like, hey, I'm going to I'm going to have you redo the Kobayashi Maru with me. And Bones is like, again with this. And Kirk's like, yeah, yeah, I got it this time. And then we smash cut to Chris Pine in only underwear. Yes, please. (laughs) Again, didn't mind it. Yeah. Making out with a green girl in her underwear. And then about five seconds in, she's like, you got to hide. My roommate's coming back. And Chris Pine like falls under the bed. And Aurora comes out, she's like, I intercepted a single, a, a signal from a, from a Klingon armada. It was destroyed. It was a distress signal. Like, OMG. And the roommate's like, aren't you supposed to be gone all night? And she's like, who's in our room? And Chris Pine's like, hey, what's up? And she's like, GTFO. And he's <laughs> like, okay, just gonna put my clothes. Oh, I can't put my clothes. Okay, bye. <laughs> so we see Kirk attempt Kobayashi Maru again. And he is cocky about it the way he's cocky about literally everything in this movie yeah. <laughs> that's his defining characteristic and then something kind of weird happens like the system glitches for a minute and then all of a sudden like he he beats the test and spock is super mad about it because he wrote the test and he's like it's supposed to teach you that there are no win situations and that you need to kind of like be graceful in the face of defeat or whatever and control your fear even when you know that you're gonna die like and you of all people should know you know, that that's something that, you know, Starfleet offers have to deal deal with. And he's just like, and Kirk is just like, ugh, ugh. Yeah. And, and he's caught, and Kirk is called before the disciplinary board or like, just like the chancellors of the school or whatever. And, and this is all happening sort of in front of the entire student body, which is weird. Seems unnecessarily punitive. 
Right. And then they're in the middle of being like, well, Kirk, you are definitely suspect. And then it's like, brah, 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 brah. Everything is effed up. Everything is, te- everything is terrible. Everybody, uh, something horrible is happening. We just got a distress call from Vulcan, but all the Starfleet ships are off doing something. What were, what were they off doing? They were in a different star system. But like, why? I I mean, isn't that like being like the United States Navy being like, oh no, like we left all of our ships in the Arctic. <laughs> like <Yeah>. there's, <laughs> there's something going on in Iran, but we can't get there. <laughs> like, <what? laughs> we have to send um, the new recruits. Yeah. So it becomes the movie Space Camp. If you <laughs> recall the movie Space Camp. I don't recall the movie Space Camp. It's a Camp. 1986 joint. I was. Where alive. a bunch of, bunch of kids who go to... Oh, you weren't alive, were you? <laughs> a bunch of kids... Who, you who were go two to space? Years old. How did you watch this? Uh, it came up later in life. A bunch of kids who go to space camp accidentally go to space. <laughs> so it becomes the movie Space Camp, where they're like, "Hey, I know all of you are still in school and all, but we're just gonna put you on all these ships and like, you're all, you're all, it's fine. Just be, be well, officers of the ship. Well, what it was it fine. reminded me of was that scene in Mulan where they find out that the Li Shangs father's whole like the general's army has been killed by the huns and oh, yeah you have these new recruits and he says we're the only hope for the emperor now and thank um, god mulan was there with her wits otherwise they would have lost i know <laughs> is kirk the mulan of this movie <laughs> uh there's a lot of things wrong with that but <laughs> i guess it's it's completely insane to me that they have all of these like uncrewed top-of-the-line spacecrafts that they then stick students on. Like, for some reason, this just blows my mind. It's, I mean, it's almost like with the coronavirus, how they, like, graduated a bunch of doctors and nurses early. Oh, yeah. But it's, like, worse than that because it's as though, like, an entire city's worth of hospitals, it's only the newly graduated (laughs) nurses and doctors. There are no senior nurses or senior doctors there. It's only the new graduates. It's only the students. I mean, there's probably a cadet there who got there like three months ago. Who was super not ready for this. Pike is on the ship initially with them. And he yes, gets... there is a smattering of real officers, but they are outnumbered by the students about 100 to 1. Yeah, and he gets taken out of commission pretty early. Right. And I have no idea what happens to the other ships, because there's a ton of ships that the, the students all go on. And I have never once do we cut to another one of those ships, or are we told what is going on with them? Because they're all supposed to be responding to the same distress call, right? Yeah, so my assumption was that some of them didn't make it because they came out into like an active fight, right? I mean, they came out of war. Maybe, speed. but at the end when we see Kirk getting his like metal pinning moment, like the student auditorium is pretty much just as full as it was at the beginning. Maybe it's new new recruits. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway, so yes, it turns into the movie Space Camp and Kirk's like, "Well, which ship should I go on?" There's a bunch of ships. Kirk's like, "Which ship should I go on?" And they're like, "You're we were about to say the word suspended, so you're not going anywhere. And Bones hilariously <laughs> gives him a vaccine to some... He's like, damn it, Jim, hold still. He's like... <laughs> and he, like, injects him with, like, a vaccine to some alien disease. And then Kirk just has all these, like, horrible reactions to it. Like, his tongue swells. It is... I mean, like, a lot of this movie was, like, slapstick comedy, which yeah. I really did not expect. <laughs> yeah. So Bones, like, drags Kirk on the Enterprise, because that's where... 
Bones has been assigned is on the Enterprise. Bones drags Kirk and, and they're he like... he is not a student, right? He's a doctor. He's a already. doctor student. He's But like the way that people are doctors and then they join the army, you mm, still have to go okay. through... I mean, I think if you are a doctor, you are not going through... Like you're not going the path of an enlisted person, right? You're you're an officer. Got it. Okay. But if you like, there are definitely or like a chaplain, right? Like mm-hmm. if you can be like a rabbi or a priest, and then you join the military as a chaplain, but you still have to go through military training. You don't just get sent. You know, you have years of training, right? So he's still in school. He is in school with Chris. Fine. He's in school to be a medical officer, but he's in school to be an officer the same okay. way that, that, that Kirk is. So Bones is like, Kirk is my patient and I'm taking him with me. And they're like, fine, whatever. So Bones drags him onto the Enterprise that they happen to get assigned to. Fine. Uhura wants to be on the Enterprise because that's like the hotness. And Spock is like, I didn't put you on the Enterprise because I didn't want it to look like I was favoring you. And she's like... Yeah, I don't care about that. And he's like, okay, uh, ding, ding, ding. You're on the Enterprise. Uh, have a good time. <laughs> so Captain Pike is, cru- is 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 in the captain's chair of the Enterprise. And then uh, Sulu, Hikaru Sulu, uh, with George Takei's role in the original uh, series, uh, is at the helm. He's not a very seasoned pilot. <laughs> he kind of leaves the parking brake on when they're trying to get to a warp. But he he gets around to it eventually. And Chekhov, who's played by an, an actor who has passed away since. Yeah, Anton Yelchin. Yeah. Uh, Chekhov is like, yes, Vulcan is having this weird seismic activity, lightning storm in space. And Kirk is like, a lightning storm in space. And he like runs to the bridge and everyone's like, what are you even doing here? And he's like, I, I, there's a lightning storm in space. He finally gets... I, the One of the only things I found refreshing was that like he wasn't sort of like stuffed in a barrel at this point and and nobody listened to him like they actually did listen to him mm-hmm. he's like pike you wrote your dissertation on what happened when my dad died and it was the same thing and it's the romulans and ahura heard you know a klingon distress call that they were being attacked i still by the way unclear to me why the why eric banna uh destroyed a bunch of klingon ships like what was the They're motive part of the federation right they are part of the federation but he hasn't been going around destroying random Federation. Oh, I'm sorry. No, at this point, at this point in time, they are not part of the Federation. By the time he his timeline is uh, in place, they are. But at this point in time, they are not. Oh, then I have no idea. Okay. <laughs> and so Spock is like, "Hey, Kirk actually sounds like he's making sense here." And so Pike is like, "All right, red alert!" And they come out of warp speed, and it's like, "Oh, everything is completely, completely screwed," and. So uh, Eric Bana, Nero calls the Enterprise and is like, Hello, Spock! <laughs> and Spock's like... This is second only to your... Um... <laughs> Who's that guy? Um, the guy from Guardians. Oh! Um, what's his junk? Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember his name. My father and his um, father before him. And the... Ronan. Ronan. Sure. <laughs> anyway, Nero's like, hi, Spock! <laughs> and Spock's like, yo, um, I super have not met you. And he's like, you will, though, you will. And they're like, cool. <laughs> and so he's like, Q, 
Captain Pike, come over to my ship and we'll negotiate. It's very, I don't know, I'm making him sound like he's the insane clown posse. Which is not really like that far Joker from the truth. Or the, the Riddler. <laughs> and Captain Pike is like, cool, um, sure. Spock, your captain, Kirk, your first officer. And Spock is like, lol. And Pike's like, no, I'm serious. By the Spock way. Spock is like, is this a prank? I don't understand. I'm not good at human pranks. Yeah. It's the prank. uh, The fact that Pike made Kirk a first officer in this situation is laughable. <laughs> He's on academic probation. I thought that was sort of supposed to be like Bruce Greenwood's or, or Pike's sort of nod of like, I know you're capable of this, but yeah, it is sort of. It's but a, there's a bunch of other people on that like ship. Do or... their homework? Yeah. Yes! <laughs> All right, on behalf of the people who did their homework, this is an insult. (laughs) Now we get to the root of it. (laughs) Yeah. Kirk's, like, first task as first officer is to go with uh, Sulu and a red shirt, whose name we never know, to, like, knock out this space drill that's drilling to the heart of Vulcan. And it's, like, this very, like, Mission Impossible-y kind of thing where they have to parachute down and the red shirt doesn't pull his parachute fast enough and he dies horribly Um, and there's like this whole what's up oh i was gonna say and the drill is also somehow jamming their communications so they can't talk to any of the other ships and they can't get and they can't beam yeah so yeah they basically can't do anything until sulu and kirk and the red shirt r.i.p have destroyed this drill so it's just like there's a, then it's, it turns into a punch fight because the Romulans come out to protect the drill and it's like punch fight fun, punch fight punch fight uh, it turns out Sulu uh, is a fencer yeah <laughs> so he's like literally fencing with the sword and in any case they they sh- they shoot it with their guns they 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 you know they best the Romulans in hand to hand combat and then they shoot the thing with their guns until it's blowing up and then <laughs> Uh, Sulu's shoot is done for. So Sulu and Kirk do a tandem jump on Kirk's uh, shoot. And they basically just jump off and they're like, you need to beam us up. And it's they're like... very point break. It's I, Oh, I was sitting there going like, oh, it's just point break Star Trek edition. Okay, cool. Which, by the way, I love point break. So you know. I've never seen point break. So Kirk and Sulu are point breaking it down to the surface of Vulcan being like, beam us up now. And everyone's like, we don't know how to beam up people who are moving at like 1200 miles an hour. And then Chekhov is like, oh, I can do it. I can do it. And he goes, he's like, give me manual control. Like, I guess his super skill is that he's really good at video games. And he like locks onto them manually and like beams them back into the transporter pod. And they like thump down on the floor, which is always like, so do you keep your momentum in which case, shouldn't you pretty much die as soon as you hit the floor? Because you should hit it with all... The- it's fine. It doesn't matter. So... <laughs> Dear J.J. Abrams. Yeah, well. So it doesn't... So the, they, they have now enabled Spock to go beam down. He beams down to, like, the Vulcan High Temple. He runs inside. He's like, yo, the planet's about to explode. We have to GTFO. And they're all like, oh, okay. And they all run outside and they're like, okay, beam us up now. And Chakrav is like, okay, I gotta beam all you up. Like, tippy tippy tacka tacka. Five, four, three. And it's like, yo, the planet's blowing up, Chekhov. You really need to be faster than that. And of course, right before they beam him up, Winona Ryder, Spock's mom, just like drops off a cliff face that has just shifted. And so, like, Spock gets like beamed up just as he's like, no, oh, God, there goes mom. I'm sad about that. I 
didn't feel any emotions watching this movie. I'll be perfectly honest. Uh, except the emotion of lust for Chris Pine. (laughs) So then the, you know, Eric Bana and his evil gang of evildoers, they inject this like little red matter into this little piece of like, it's like a red oil globule into the center of the planet and just goes like, it becomes a black hole. And Vulcan is just donezo. Yeah, it's like Alderaan. Yeah, well, it's sort of almost the inverse of Alderaan. Yeah, but it's that same, like, your, you know, Princess Leia is like, one of very, very few survivors as a Spock. Right. It's it's more poignant here because you're never given the knowledge in Star Wars. Again, it's not really sci-fi. You're never given the knowledge in Star Wars that, like, different planets have different species on them. <laughs> right? Everyone is just... Everyone who is, like, Han or Leia or, or Luke is just a generic human. And so you're not given the sense that when Alderaan is lost that you've lost a race of people. Just that you've lost a lot of people, which is terrible in and of itself. But with Spock, I mean, probably the most poignant part of this movie is we get his, like, captain's log Mm, after this has happened. And he says, like, I am now a member of an endangered species. And that's like, dang, like, that's heavy stuff. And his concern about getting the the elders off of Vulcan is in addition to two of them being his parents. Although his mom probably wasn't a Vulcan elder because she's not Vulcan. Nope. She was just hanging out with him for some reason. But in addition to being related to one of the Vulcan High Elders, you know, he says they are the ones who will preserve our history and our culture. So that's that's the other piece of it is that, you know, he says that they were a planet of six billion and now maybe there are 10,000 of them sort of diffused around. And I think if you want to get into maybe like if this were a more like Gene Roddenberry-esque, let's explore that kind of movie... You're talking kind of about like um, the African diaspora, and or and you're talking about things like um, the Irish potato famine, how it killed like so many people and caused so many people to leave uh, Ireland, or these huge or you know Holocaust, like these huge events where they are sort of a part of your of your um, genetic memory. And then also it means that so much of your art and your culture and all, you know, your food and all of these things that are like the softer part of your, your language, your languages, yeah. I mean, uh, or Native Americans, right? Like all those things start to die out because you don't have people, you know, in the same place who are continuing that culture. So I, that was a really interesting, you know. This was not the the movie where they were going to explore that, but I think if you were going to like, if Diane Duane was going to write a a series about <laughs> Vulcan, like I think that would be a really interesting thing to explore. Like, you know, in World War II, like they had people whose whole job it was to rescue pieces of art from the Nazis. Oh yeah, because it was seen your, your the cultural uh, importance of those pieces were seen as you know part of history and and part of. And, and that's what some of the Nazis that like, that's what they did too, was not just destroy the people, but the culture too. So, you know, that was probably, I agree with you. That's sort of the most poignant thing for me of like, Oh, you know, Spock is not, you know, he's, he's without a home in multiple senses, right? Because he's not as a character, he's not accepted in either world fully. And then this world that he grew up on, that he has these complicated relationships with these people, like they're all dead now. <laughs> and then on top of that, you know, you, now you're part of an endangered species. And so I really felt for him. And I thought Zachary Quinto did a very good job. Of, yeah, I agree. Dealing with that. 
On the Romulan ship, we see Nero torturing Pike, being like, Spock! Spock! My planet! My wife! My wife who looks like a good lady at JCPenney's! (laughs) Spock didn't help us get off the planet, now she's dead, and I'm just a simple miner, but now I'm here to kill everybody! And Pike is just like, Oh, like he clearly thinks this guy has completely lost his marbles. So on the Enterprise, like Spock is aware that, okay, this guy's from the future and we're in an alternate reality now. And what do we do next? And Kirk is like, we got to, you know, blah, blah, we got to go in punching. We got to punch fight people. And Spock is like, we have to regroup with Starfleet. And and Kirk is like, punch fight people. I'm going to punch fight people. And Spock's like, have him removed. And they try to remove him and he fights. So then Spock gives him the Vulcan neck pinch. And then this was, this was a wildly bad decision on Spock's part. He then maroons Kirk. Yeah, he like jettisons him. On an ice planet, which is crazy. That is such, it's such a, it's such a bad decision. I don't even have words for how bad it, like, ships have brigs, okay? If you need to put someone in the brig, put someone in the brig. You don't just drop kick them onto an uninhabitable planet and be like, I don't know, maybe you'll survive. Okay, TTYL. In any case, he lands on this snow planet where he gets chased by this big old monster and then he gets chased by a bigger monster. And so, for me, this was, like, so tedious of, like, how? Why would you even have lizards on an ice planet? They're they're cold blooded. It doesn't make any sense. This was the rat hauling Rathar scene. Oh, me. for sure. Yeah. Yes, good good analogy. So then somebody shakes a torch at the big lizard and it goes away and it turns around and it's Leonard Nimoy. Leonard Nimoy, who's a great guy. BT Dubs. Yeah, I have a... Much props and love to Leonard Nimoy. I have a, an article here from NPR about uh, a letter he wrote to a fan in 1968 that if we have time at the end, I would like to address. Oh, okay. So he's like, Kirk, it's you. It's me. It's your, it's your best friend forever from the beginning of time to the end of time. It's me, <laughs> Spa. And K- Kirk's like, yeah, I don't... <laughs> I think you've got the wrong guy because uh, Spock and I are super... And you have to remember that Vulcans have much longer lifespans than humans. So in Spock's timeline, Kirk has probably been dead for like a really long time. Hmm. If you think about it, I mean, he's from... He said 125 years in the future, right? So I think Vulcans generally live to be about 200, I think. I'm not going to... I'm not going to look that up and see if I'm right. But if you think about it, like, Kirk has probably been dead for, you know, 75, 100 years. So this is for him. It's actually kind of a big deal. They don't explore that at all, but it's something to think about. And he's like, hey, uh, I'm from the future. And uh, let me explain the plot that I already explained. So it's fine. Yeah. And he's like, hey, you have to become captain of the Enterprise. That's the only way. And I'm like, really? (laughs) The only way that we can make anything happen is if if the action figures are in the right place at dang it. (laughs) And Kirk is like, hey, uh, in your reality, do I like get to know my father? And Spock's like, oh, yeah. No, you totally know your dad. He's like cool yeah i thought that was interesting like wouldn't that have been interesting if the if kirk was like i i want to go back with you like i want to know my dad oh i don't think there's any going back Uh, i guess that's probably true through a wormhole first of all kirk's father would be long 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 dead anyway and second of all it was a one-way trip (laughs) so doesn't matter what he wants that's right because nimoy sticks around at the end i forgot about yeah so bones is like spock are you crazy? You know, back where I'm from in Kentucky, 
we have a saying that if you're going to run the Kentucky Derby, you don't leave your best horse in the stable. And Spock's like, yeah, your best horse needs to get broken in. I was like, oh, snap. That's a good, that's a good rejoinder, Spock. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's, he's quick. Yeah. So Leonard Nimoy and Chris Pine make it to the tiny Starfleet or outpost on the snow planet where they meet Scotty, who's, uh, what's his face from Shaun of the Dead? Uh, Simon Pegg, I think, Simon right? Pegg, I love that guy. Yeah. Also, in Star Wars, he got to be in Star Wars because he knew J.J. Abrams from this movie. Oh, that's hilarious. Oh, that's right. I forgot he was. Yeah, 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 yeah. So they're like, hey, we need to bore, We need to beam aboard the Enterprise while it's in warp. And Scotty's like, hey, didn't they ever know? No, they ever, ever known do that. Oh, that's not a thing anybody know how to do. I don't, that was almost Jamaican at the end there. I don't know what that say, was. Yeah, warped. <laughs> And something else at the end. <laughs> and Leonard Nemo is like, aha, but you discover how to do it. And here's the equation. And Scott is like, cool. Oh, sure. Okay. <laughs> Surely that's all it takes is an equation. It's like, <laughs> it's as if I went back in time to like Ada Lovelace and I was like, this is the equation for how to correctly model like light scattering off a 3d render and she'd be like cool what the f am i supposed to do with this (laughs) well it's like the way we talked about in in ant-man and the wasp where janet takes over paul rudd's body and she's like this will get you like you know this will will like get you down to the quantum realm and you were like hey lady you haven't seen a computer in 30 years do you know how to do any of this (laughs) (laughs) ah movies (laughs) So, yeah. So, uh, Scotty gets the equation for warping onto a warp speed, beaming onto a warp speed ship. And Scotty warps himself and his little alien friend who is never given a name and Kirk onto the Enterprise. Where then there's like a slapstick thing where Scotty gets beamed into a water tube and I did not like it one bit. I didn't either. That made me so stressed out. Thank you. Like, near drowning scenes give me such anxiety. And I was just like, this is not a funny, fun time, guys. This is horrible. Like, I feel like I have to hold my breath this whole scene. But Kirk gets him out. And then, you know, they're like, oh, there's, there's stowaways or whatever. And then Spock is like, how did you even get back here? And Kirk's like, I don't know, figure it out. And he's like, Scotty, you're an officer in Starfleet. Like, you have to tell me, like under order of court martial or whatever, like, how'd you get here? And Kirk's like, don't tell him. And Scotty's like, I just want some popcorn <laughs> to still watch the well, two of you so go at it. I think one thing that's important to note is that normally Kirk's just being a cocky asshole because that's how he normally is. But in this particular scene, Leonard Nimoy Spock has told him before he was beamed up, you have to get me to resign my post. Like, you have to... Um, you know, I, I just lost my home planet. I am emotionally compromised. You have to get me to show that I'm emotionally compromised. So so Kirk comes back onto the ship, like, really swinging for Spock in a way that, to everybody outside of Chris Pine's own brain, like, Kirk's own own knowledge, everybody else outside thinks that he's being, like, really unnecessarily cruel. But that was, the point is to get Spock riled up. And he succeeds, and Spock almost kills Kirk. And then Spock is like, oh, um, I have to step down because I'm in violation of, you know, execute order 66 or whatever it is. (laughs) (laughs) I'm in violation of that, and so now I can't be captain anymore. Okay, bye. And then everyone's like, 
well, who's captain now? And Kirk's like, I am. And everyone's like, what are you talking about? He's like, Pike made me first officer before he left. And then Spock isn't. So that makes it me. Everyone's like, oh my God. I mean, this would be like if, if the kid in your calculus class who never came to school and didn't do the homework and didn't take the tests, just like showed up and was like, I'm the king of calculus now. Like, are you? I'm the teacher now. (laughs) I'm the teacher now. Are you, bro? Are you? I have to say something. He manspreads in that chair quite Oh my a bit. god. And I, yeah. I listened to an interview with Chris Pine where he said that one of, he was joking around of course, but he said like one of the biggest things for him, he's like, I got a small butt and I that chair was big and so I had to find a way to like <laughs> to like fill up that captain's chair and so that's why he's like seriously manspreading. Wow. Yeah. So Spock and his dad talk and his dad's like, hey, I loved your mom, just FYI. And Spock's like, cool. I, I'm thinking about, like, Spock being like, that would have been really useful to me, like, <laughs> Like the wedding singer. Ago. Yeah, exactly. Wedding That's singer. Exactly Information I would have been good for me to have yesterday! <laughs> yeah, because, like, he, he grew up his whole life thinking that this was, like, that his parents' marriage was, like, just this completely... Unemotional, yeah. Yeah, like, business arrangement. And, you know, after his mom is gone, for his dad to be like, oh, also, I loved her. You're like, okay, well, <laughs> thanks, dad, but... Okay. It's a little late. Yeah. <laughs> thanks. Poor Winona Ryder having to be around the two of them all the time. <laughs> oh, I know. Oh, my God, are you kidding me? I was thinking about what it would be like to be a human woman... Like chilling it on, kicking it on Vulcan with your Vulcan husband and your half Vulcan kid. I'm like, yeah, I would start banging heads together. (laughs) So then Kirk's like, okay, now I have to go on the ship and rescue Captain Pike and also like mess their their stuff up or whatever. And Spock comes, he's like, I'm going with you. And Kirk's like, okay, cool. (laughs) So we're immediately bros. Well, not immediately. No, they're, they're still not really that cool with each other. Because Eric Bana has reached the planet Earth and is going to try to kill Earth the way he killed Vulcan. So Scotty warps them into the ship, and like right in the middle of everything. And then it's punch fight, punch fight, punch fight. Uh, the drill is drilling into San Francisco, which is where Starfleet HQ is. Uh, I like the optimism that climate change is not going to leave us with an uninhabitable San Francisco. So young Spock finds old Spock's ship that they dragged onto the Romulan ship and he gets on and it's, and the ship is like, hello, Spock. Yeah. And Spock is like, Hey, what are you? And it's like, hi, I have a ship that was commissioned for you. I was made by the Vulcan science Academy. Like it's nice to see you again. And Spock's like, Oh, okay. And Kirk is like, (laughs) just like walking out. (laughs) I was like, Oh, I, and, and Spock is like, there are things you're not telling me. He's like, yep, bye. Bye. So Peace. Spock, <laughs> because old Spock told Kirk, like, don't tell young Spock anything, which that doesn't even last to the end of the movie. No. <laughs> so he starts flying that new, that very new, like, sexy, uh, super in the far future technology ship, like, off of Eric Bana's ship. And he uses it to destroy the drill that is trying to destroy Earth. And uh, he escapes. He he basically goads Eric Bana into leaving Earth alone. Spock basically like leads him on a merry chase, like away from Earth. He goes into warp speed uh, and the ship follows him, you know, but far away from Earth. 
and he gets getting fired on and Spock is, you know, evading or whatever. And then the Enterprise comes he, and he, the Enterprise is attacking. I don't know how, I guess they just follow, I don't know how they follow. <laughs> just are attacking the Romulan ship. Kirk goes to re- rescue Pike. And then Kirk, Pike, and Spock are beamed back to the Enterprise just as Spock's like hyper new ship, like kamikazes into the Romulan ship. And the Red Matter is released. This was maybe the dumbest part of the movie. <laughs> I guess it's probably the dumbest part of the movie. So the Red Matter explodes. And we've seen that a, a drop of Red Matter uh, smaller than your pinky nail can create a planet-sized black hole. But now this entire vat of Red Matter creates a black hole not that much bigger. Oh, okay. And... Uh, then they have to avoid getting sucked in, which is just like a whole, like, they try to go really fast, but they can't go fast enough. And then Scotty's like, I'm giving her all she's got. Oh. And then Scotty's like, maybe if we jettisoned our warp core, which, okay, brah, how are you getting home? Well, I <laughs> That's thought it was th- jettisoning torpedoes. No, he jettisons the warp core. Okay. Which means that he can't go to light speed, which means they have to get home on impulse power, <laughs> which means they... It would take I mean, maybe they get like a toe back to Earth. <laughs> but so they jettison the warp core and like the warp core explodes and then they surf out of the black hole like on the wave of the exploding war. It's just so dumb. It's so dumb. And then new Spock kind of catches sight of old Spock hanging around Starfleet and, and Leonard Nimoy says, no, I am not our father. <laughs> so young Spock understands who he is then and young Spock is like why did why any of this why and old Spock's like you and Kirk have to be BFFs it's very important okay bye <laughs> no, not quite young Spock says I'm gonna resign Starfleet and help rebuild the Vulcan race and old Spock's like I'll take care of that and I was like I'm sorry <laughs> Did old Spock just say he was going to go around having relations with every I Vulcan don't lady? Think he meant that. It's the first thing I thought of. <laughs> and so he's like, "No, no, you go be with Starfleet, and you go be with Kirk, who's your BFF. Go." And then we're back in the the student auditorium, <laughs> and uh, the same chancellors of the school pin a bunch of things on it's Kirk, Tyler and they're Perry. like, "It's Tyler I Perry." Don't think we said that before. It is it's Tyler Perry. They're like, Kirk, you're the greatest. And also, now you're captain of the Enterprise. Oh, okay. Is that how it works? <laughs> sure. And Pike is in a wheelchair, and now he's been elevated to Admiral, which, cool. Pike is cool. Fine. But then they're like, Kirk, you're now captain of the Enterprise. And then it's, then we get, like, the action figure shot where everybody is in the place they're supposed to be on the bridge. And then it's, like, space, the final frontier. Well, it's like, doodly, doodly, doodly. Spock is like, do you need a first officer? Because I thought this was oh, funny. Yeah. He's like, he's like, I would like to apply. And if you, if you like, I can provide character references. <laughs> Which is myself, uh, 125 years in the future. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there were a couple lines that made me, a couple lines of his that made me really laugh. That it was that one, just his deadpan delivery. It was that one. It was the oh, Quinto killed it. Yeah, he did a great job. Uh, it was the um, fine has variable meanings that I talked about earlier, and it was also when Uhura is kissing Spock goodbye before they like go on their mission. Kirk is like, "This is a thing." Like what? Yeah. And, and so like 
There's this little runner in the movie where Kirk is trying to figure out Uhura's first name and she won't tell him. It's Neota, right? Yeah, and um, so he overhears her, you know, say to Spock, like, you better come back. And he's like, I will, Neota, thank you. And uh, so <laughs> they're, like, alone, about to be beamed up, and Kirk goes, so her name's Neota. And he goes, I have no opinion on the matter. <laughs> <laughs> I will say, so Zachary Quinto is is uh, is a gay man. Yes. Chris Pine, as far as I know, is straight. Yes. Uh, but there's this one moment where the shot is framed of two of them and their heads are very close together. And I was like, kiss! So, so this is the other thing, right? Because I know we're a family podcast, but I did, I was like, oh, I get why yep 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 this is a very popular thing because they do have a chemistry at least in this they do yeah i'm not sure about the rich but this they definitely i mean i don't think i ever saw either william shatner or leonard nimoy as particularly like sexual beings no william shatner is a sexual like a a sexual icon always like really baffled me yes me too uh i have wonderful opinions on Leonard Nimoy, but none of them involve him being sexy. <laughs> but Quinto and Pine oh, are both yes. at the height of their sexy powers, oh, yeah. right? Yes, yes. And so yes. the two of them, there was just this one shot, I think it was in the new Spock ship, where they just are very close to each other and they're just framed in this way where I'm like, oh, oh, th- you should, there should be a kiss here. <laughs> if 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 the world were fair, there would be a kiss here. And then there was also, like, towards the end where they're all, you know, like, they're all in their places and he's come to be on the ship. And or it was it was something towards the end where they were, like, either all going home after the big, big fight or at the very, very end where they share, like, this knowing look with each other. And I'm like, that is... That is is an intimate partner look. That is not. I demand bisexual Kirk. I demand it right now. I never knew that I had this demand inside me, and I'm making the demand right now. I demand bisexual Kirk. If he's going through the galaxy and having fun times with all the aliens he meets, I demand that half of them be male. I mean, you are basically... Cowards! You are... You're Eleanor Shellstrop right now, right? Isn't that what you said? More men... It's 2019. More men should be bi. (laughs) Yes. But seriously, though, like, if they weren't going to be cowards, that's what they would do. Right? Because Kirk is, like, famously sexing it up on all the alien planets. Like, it's the 21st century. Like, go take the one extra step and make him sex up literally everybody. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that that wouldn't even be bisexual. I think you would make him just pansexual, right? Because you have to also think about, like, all the aliens that don't sure. I mean, conform I don't, to... That, that's, a, that's like a an intra-queer fight that I don't have a dog in and I sure. don't care to uh, debate. Fine. I don't care what you want to call it. Yeah. Kirk should be sleeping with everybody. Omnisexual. Everybody-sexual. Uh, sh- yes. <laughs> Just all the sentient beings. If you're a pile of goo, Kirk wants to lie in your goo. (laughs) If you are a mind without a body, Kirk wants to have telepathic uh, relations with you. (laughs) You know, I would, I would be in for that. Yeah, right? Cowards. Yeah, I mean, that, that is, that is, I think, an element of, from, from, the Gene Roddenberry era that we don't get at all is sexuality. 
that I... Well, you mean a diversity of sexuality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, right. I mean, I don't have to tell you what the 1960s were like. No, certainly not. (laughs) Although I have seen... So again, I'm sorry, because I don't know these characters very well. But there is one scene that a lot of trans people, like, really feel is very accepting with like Worf and there is a another it's not it's not Worf it oh is it Worf it might, no it's not Worf okay I thought it was a Klingon but maybe it was a different it Klingon. was a Klingon but it's not Worf oh, okay. so you know <clears throat> oh, <I'm> uh, sorry. <laughs> but it's about it's about uh, an entity that it, you know it, I'm gonna, it's hard I'm to gonna look it up it's Jadzia Dax is the is the character's name that there's an entity that sort of moves among various or where you become like a two two conscious entities in one body and but you change bodies and that you you could absolutely read that as a metaphor for trans acceptance i don't think that's what they were going for god love them if they were i mean you can read a queer narrative into a lot of things that are not meant to be queer exhibit a Kirk slash Spock. Yes. Right? You can read a queer narrative into a lot of things that were not written to be queer and like, that's great. I'm saying that I don't want queer subtext. I want queer text. Right. Make Kirk omnisexual 2020. (laughs) I mean, is it still Chris Pine? Yes! Are you kidding me? (laughs) I'm just, it's just a question. It's not a uh, Absolutely it is. Okay. So why don't you talk about that one thing you want to talk about so we can go? Yeah. So this was from a while ago, uh, 2015, NPR. National Public Public Radio. Radio. Um, So they have a a podcast called Code Switch, which is about race and, and culture and a lot of really interesting things. Anyway, they basically found in 1968, a biracial girl wrote to a magazine uh, like wrote to Spock based, or wrote to Spock and Spock Leonard Nimoy was like so uh, moved by it that he actually answered her in a in a teen magazine that was around during that time so she says T- Tiger Beat or it was uh, it's called like Fave or something like Fave magazine <laughs> that's okay yeah sounds about right so this is the it's a very short letter but she says dear Mr. Spock I am not very good at writing Aww. letters so I will make this short I know, I'm crying already. I know. I know that I'm not going to read. His whole response is pretty long, so I'm going to pick and choose. But she says, I'm not very good at writing letters, so I will make this short. I know that you are half Vulcan and half human, and you have suffered because of this. This is, I'm going to just put a little disclaimer here. This is from 1968, so she's using the parlance that was used at that time. This is not me saying this. My mother is a Negro, and my father is white, and I am told this makes me a half breed. In some ways, I am persecuted even more than the Negro. The Negroes don't like me because I don't look like them. The white kids don't like me because I don't exactly look like one of them either. I guess I will never have any friends. FC, Los <gasps> Angeles, California. Oh my god. Yeah. So. This is way more emotional than anything that happened in that dumb movie. Yes. So Leonard Nimoy was so moved by this. I mean, this is, this is the true, like, Gene Roddenberry's, like. Intent. Yes. Yeah. So he was so moved by this that he wrote back to her and, you know, we can post this on our Facebook page and on Twitter um, so you can read the whole thing, but I'll just pick out little pieces of it. 
Quote, as you may know, only Spock's mother was human. His father was a Vulcan. Spock grew up amongst Vulcan children and because he was different, had to face the problem of not being accepted. This is because people, especially young people, it seems, and Vulcans too, tend to for- <laughs> tend to form into groups kind of like wolf packs. They often demand that you be just like them or you will not be accepted. And Vulcans were no different than humans when it comes to prejudice. And then he says... I just I love the idea of her reading that and being like, yeah, I watched the show. Yeah. Well, <laughs> don't so he, don't mansplain the plot of Star Trek to me, so little Nimoy. On. Spock was heartbroken because he wasn't popular, but it was only the need for popularity that was ruining his happiness. The question was, which was more important, being popular with the pack, who might turn against him at any minute, or be true to himself? It takes a great deal of courage to turn your back on popularity and go out on your own. Although inside you're not really like the members of the pack, it is still frightening to decide to leave them because as long as you're popular, you at least have something, someone to hang around with. But if you do leave, then you may end up all alone. This is very Eleanor Shellstrop, this next piece of it. Now there's mm-hmm. a little voice inside each of us that tells us when we're not being true to ourselves. We should listen to this voice. Often we try to talk ourselves into believing that our actions are good, quote, It's okay to pick on this person, we say, because it may make us popular for a while with the pack. And I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. Spock Spock learned he could save himself from letting prejudice get him down. He could do this by really understanding himself and knowing his own value as a person. He found he was equal to anyone who might try to put him down, equal in his own unique way. You can do this too if you realize the difference between popularity and true greatness. It has been said that popularity is merely the crumbs of greatness. Mm. When you think of people who are truly great and would have improved the world, you can see that they are people who realize they did not need popularity because they knew they had something special to offer the world, no matter how small that offering seemed. And they offered it, and it was accepted with peace and love. It's all in having the patience to find out what you yourself have to offer in this world that is uniquely yours. So there's more than that, but I'll end it there. But I just thought you know that is that's truly the the ethos behind this show i think right in a way that this movie does not explore (laughs) (laughs) and let's end it there yeah Uh, until next time dorks live long and prosper we will see you next time ding dogs let that uh <laughs> oh god why you've made your point disruptive youths <laughs>